Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Paul Baker to the show. Paul is the principal consultant for Cred Consulting and an electrical reliability expert. We discuss aging electrical infrastructure, transformers, and what condition monitoring needs to be done on electrical equipment. If you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com, and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter. If you like the show, please tell your colleagues in reliability about it and follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and YouTube. And finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email at robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Here's the interview with Paul Baker. Hey guys, we're back and today, just before the Chicago Bears game start, we have Paul Baker. Paul, how are you? I'm good, Rob. Yourself? I'm doing well. And, you know, we did say you're a Chicago Bears fan. Now, I do have to ask you this question. What do you think about Mitch Trubisky? Oh, you're going to kill me with that one right off the start. <laughs> you know... I, I look at Mitch a lot like a uh, – here you go. I look at Mitch a lot like a, uh, a, a good reliability program. you got to start somewhere. And, uh, I mean, the start is there, and we're building off of our successes. And uh, let's hope that uh, in a year or two he's world class. <laughs> That's How's a very that? diplomatic answer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I went through years of Jay Cutler. Trubisky's not that bad. <laughs> So for everyone listening, Paul is the principal consultant for Cred Consulting. Now, Paul, do you want to give us a little background on yourself? Like, how did you get your start in maintenance and reliability? Sure. So um, I guess I'll start. Uh, I, I'm an electrician by trade. Um, started working in the uh, OSB, orientated strand board field in the wood industry. Um, realized quite quickly that... Uh, uh, let's just say electrical maintenance and mechanical maintenance were totally different priorities uh, for the company. Mechanical, they, they started to look at some things. And I mean, we're going back 20 some years, but uh, they were doing some things on the electrical side. It was just uh, wait for something to fail and, and move forward with that. So um, started in maintenance, uh, working in maintenance for oh good majority of my career. Um, after the OSB facility that I was at shut down, uh, went into mining, uh, worked for a potash mining company, uh, doing everything. I was on the tools for a few months. Uh, I was their electrical technologist for a while, electrical supervisor, a planner, uh, kind of went through the whole gamut with them, um, and then moved into a, an electrical service company, um, one of the largest in North America. And, uh, at that time, I uh, really got introduced to, um, call it uh, electrical power systems and some of the high voltage stuff and the reliability and the testing and the different things that go along with that. Uh, spent a large portion of my career doing that, uh, both as a technical services manager and then a reliability specialist doing some of those types of things. Um, 
spent a little bit of time as a maintenance manager and uh yeah just just recently here um decided it was time for a little bit of a change and uh and i'm now uh consulting on mostly on the electrical side for reliability maintenance management asset management type stuff but uh kind of all over the board when it comes to uh, all types of maintenance reliability type practices yeah, that's pretty cool. And you have a really diverse background, which is probably really helpful when you're trying to help people do, you know, improve their reliability program. I, I like to think so. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I've, I've said it probably about 3000 times now, but uh, my goal and, and my passion is really getting people to look at the electrical side of things uh, when it comes to reliability, asset management, all of those types of things. I mean, I know we're both part of PMAC and we've both been to a lot of conferences over the years. And, and it's funny, um, 98% of the people everywhere you go talk to the mechanical reliability and all of those types of things. And although the processes are all the same, uh, there's, there's definitely some different things that you need to look at when you're looking at the electrical side of things. So I, I like to think of myself as, uh, maybe not a pioneer, but definitely, uh, uh, a, a push in the right direction for the electrical side when it comes to uh, reliability and maintenance practices. <laughs> and that's, you know, and that's why we're having you on today is like, obviously, you know, you know a little bit about me, like I'm a mechanical engineer. I worked in mining and oil and gas and most of my background is not on the electrical side. And so, and actually it's funny enough that, you know, I had you on at this time is the last probably two weeks or so at, at work, I've been getting into the electrical equipment on the, you know, the switch gears, the VFDs, the transformers. And the one, the one thing I always, I always think is funny. And I guess we'll, we'll kick off our, our discussion here with, you know, talking about aging infrastructure. And it's one thing I've heard over the years, multiple times is, you know, we've never had a transformer failure. And so people are never really planning for that end of life or that aging infrastructure. Now, obviously, never having a failure doesn't mean that you're never going to have one eventually. Like, how big of a problem is the aging infrastructure in electrical systems? I, obviously, I'm, I'm going to talk to uh, my opinion, um, but um, looking back, and, and I did a paper here at, at Main Train at Edmonton uh, in September um, and, and quoted a, a, a conference, or the infra, or conference Board of Canada put a report out in 2011 talking just about that, about uh, uh, electrical infrastructure, aging electrical electrical infrastructure. They, they surveyed 366 global executives when you're looking at oil and gas, utilities, chemicals, natural resources, and they say that 87% of those people state that aging electrical infrastructure has an impact on their operations. Now, it's funny you say transformers and we've never had a problem and it's always been uh, kind of the thorn in my side, we'll call it when it comes to electrical <laughs> maintenance. Right? Um, you always hear, well, the lights are on. You know, uh, the power's on, and uh, the only time we ever really have a problem, we can fix it quickly, and off we go. Well, those transformers are multitudes of millions of dollars, depending on how the size that you're looking at. Um, there, some of them are 24 to 36 months out to get a replacement. Um, is there a, is there a market out there that you can find 
something that uh, that may work. Absolutely, there's a, a large refurbishment market because of exactly what we're talking about, people not looking into things and, and taking the time and planning properly. Um, but you're going to pay double the amount and you're probably going to get a unit that, don't get me wrong, it'll be good, uh, but it's not brand new, right? So you're going to get something that's either refurbished or something that's used that somebody's pulled out due to size or due to something like that. Um, and, and you're putting yourself right back into the same risk that you were always in. Um, so when it comes to aging, aging infrastructure, I think it's a huge uh, importance for, for companies to start looking at, uh, and, and utilities have started doing this, but for companies to do a lot more of it, um, just due to the fact that, I mean, transformers, and we, we were talking a little bit before, Robin, um, there's a lot of companies out there that have had the same transformers in place for 40, 50 years. Um, you talk to a lot of these transformer manufacturers, and again, uh, rough number, they're talking 45-year lifespan somewhere around that area. Um, now, that's not to say there's not transformers out there. I've seen transformers out there that are still running and perfectly fine 80 years into the future. You know, but I've also seen transformers out there that lasted 10 years. So as you know, everything's changes and it all depends on what happened in the plant or, or, or the, the, the way it was or put together. But there's a huge, huge risk that, that people just aren't looking at with transformers, with cables. Cables are a big one that I see all of the time that people go, oh, yeah, well, you know, everything's good. Everything's good. They don't do anything. They don't test their cables. They don't do anything. Um, they lose a cable that cable might feed the majority of their facility or all of their facility for that point, for that matter. Um, and it may be, you know, it was put in in the 60s or 70s. Um, we've now built a shed or built something over top of the trench from that cable. We can't get in to fix that cable. Now we've got to get new cabling put in. Okay, well, all of these things take time. It's not like a bearing and a motor where you switch a motor out and off you go, right? Or, or switch the bearing out and off you go or whatever. Um, so it, 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 I guess to answer your question, it's, in my opinion, it's a huge, huge risk for, for most companies. Um, and it's not something that people are looking at closely enough, in my opinion. Now, do you think that's because the equipment, like the electrical equipment, one, maybe it doesn't move, and then two, it lasts so long. And so like, maybe you forget about it after 20 years. That's a great question because I, I've, I've often wondered to myself, okay, why are we not looking at these things? Um, I, I think that's definitely a big part of it, right? Um, with, with, uh, with mechanical equipment that's moving, you've got all of those things that we talk about on the, on the P to F curve, right? You, you, you can hear it, you can see it, you can smell it, you can, feel it. You can do all of these different types of things. And on the electrical side, maybe there's not as much of that stuff um, because there is no moving pieces. But you're also talking about insulation that eventually things break down, wear down. Um, and, and I mean, there's a lot of determining factors to determine just how fast these things happen. But um, yeah, I think a big part of it is just it, it, the lights are on, right? We don't see any problem. We don't smell any problem. Um, we're good. Uh, maybe we had one minor, one or two minor incidents uh, in the past, but we got through those pretty quickly. So, you know, there's no real history to say this is what happens if a transformer goes down. Uh, but I can tell you firsthand that I've been a part of many, or many different uh, 
projects where a transformer went down and there's millions of dollars being spent on top of the fact that you may be waiting two, three, four weeks, best case scenario, to get a new transformer into place. <laughs> yeah, two two to four weeks would be a, a welcome for, I think, a lot of companies. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? I, I, it's funny because I, I've, I've, I've been a part of, uh, there, was a, there was a small portion of time that I, I actually, uh, I, I sold uh, refurbished transformers. Um, and I'm telling you, you get those phone calls and it's money isn't even an option, right? Because a lot of the companies, they can't afford to be down for two, three, four weeks, never mind, you know, 16 to 24 months if, if they're waiting on a brand new or something like that. So, um, it, it's a big deal. It really is that, uh, people don't necessarily always look at or think about. So I guess, I guess digging more into it, like. I think one of the hardest things, at least from from what I could tell, is actually understanding the life cycle of a transformer in your application. And I think that's one thing that people have a hard time getting their head around because there is no data, like there is no failures uh, history. How do you recommend sort of for someone out there, including me, who's trying to do this at their facility, like how do you recommend they get started? Well, I think the big thing is to do the basic testing, right? So, um, you know, on, on your transformers, I, I, the first thing you want to do is obviously get into a yearly oil testing. Um, you know, you're doing your DGA and then you're doing your oil quality testing. You're looking for things like water and, and different gases um, for for the the depending on sizes of transformers you also want to get in and and you want to do some capacitance testing and you want to test your your uh, turns ratios and a, a bunch of different technical things i won't get into all of it by any means of the word because I'm, I'm never going to pretend to be the 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 expert when it comes to how you do the testing uh, but by all means you want to get in there and you want to look at the transformer on a on a regular basis right um now when you're looking at life cycle of a transformer a big part of that in my opinion is is having all of that data trending all of that data and and seeing how things are moving forward i mean it's no different than doing any other type of of uh maintenance testing and, and trending when it comes to those types of things uh and and then what a lot of companies are starting or i shouldn't say a lot of companies but what 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 a lot of the utilities are starting to do and what and what uh what i've done in the past is then you start to look at okay um you, you put a condition index together for let's say you've got a huge fleet of transformers right put a condition index together for that um I won't get into great detail, but I mean, I used a zero to 100 scale, right? And you're looking at a lot of different things to develop that that condition index. Uh, the DGA, the load on the transformer obviously is going to determine, uh, I mean, if you're barely loading this thing, you're probably going to get a longer life. But if you're loading it at 110% of its capacity over time, just from the thermal itself on that insulation, it's going to break it down a little bit quicker. You're going to do some power factor capacitance testing, your quality um, your, your bushings, the condition of your bushings, all of these types of things, put, put those together into a health index. Um, and, and, and at least at that point in time, um, you've got an idea of your, uh, call them bad apples in the group, right? Or at least the ones that, you know, you've got to keep a little bit of a closer eye on. Um, 
once you've got that portion of things taken care of, obviously you want to look at the criticality of the transformers themselves. There's a big difference between the main power transformer at a facility and, and the transformer that feeds the lunchroom, right? Um, but, you know, looking at all of those different types of things. And, and then what I've gotten into in the last little while is actually developing regression curves uh, based uh, looking at each one of those conditions that build the health index um, and, and kind of developing and giving a, a rough budgetary estimate as far as, okay, if this thing keeps regressing the way it has, uh, and, and going back to the reliability tools that I know you're well aware of, right, um, using Weibull or, or depending on how you fit that shape or fit that, uh, uh, those points um, to determine kind of where things are going. Um, now, this is something difficult for a lot of people because they don't know maybe where that alarm point is. Um, and and um, I, I definitely recommend bringing somebody in at that point in time that uh, that has a better understanding maybe of the inner workings and the testing and, and what those results look like. But uh, uh, from a transformer point of view, I think that uh, that's probably the best route you can go because there really is no um, true, in my opinion, condition monitoring. Now, yes, you can do online gas, you can do all of these different types of things, but all that's telling you realistically is, is where things are right now. There's no, um, no real future state uh, looking at, and there's definitely no way to do a, a condition monitoring program, we'll call it, uh, that you think of like a vibration analysis or those types of things. Your oil is your best bet. Now, you know, while we're on the subject of condition monitoring on electrical equipment, like I think the only we've really the only technology we've really touched on electrical equipment and predictive maintenance on this show has been ultrasound. Do you now like what else should we be using? Oh, I guess electrical signature analysis as well. Now, yeah, that was a great one. Yeah. Now, what other technology should we be using and like what applications, what components should we be using them on? Okay. Well, I think the biggest one that I would recommend, obviously the ultrasound, I think ultrasound and, and IR work hand in hand. Um, I, IR is a big one. Um, going through your facility, opening up all of your cabinets um, and, and doing an IR scan uh, just to determine the heat. So as, as insulation breaks down, it, it creates heat, right? Um, if there's a poor connection, that's going to create heat. Create heat. Um, so a big part of that is 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 doing that IR scanning. Um, now, CSA Z four sixty two that came out uh, I don't know probably fifteen twenty years ago now I can't remember the exact time but uh, basically what it is is the uh, it's the CSA standard for workplace electrical safety. Um, so it's not as easy these days as it was when I started in my career. Uh, you know where I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt and opening up an electrical <laughs> box. Um, now, don't get me wrong, it, the, 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 we've, we've moved forward at a great pace and it's fantastic to see, uh, but it makes things difficult sometimes to get in there. So at a design stage or during maintenance outages, highly recommend putting in uh, both IR and, and uh, ultrasonic ports, um, give you a better idea to are a lot easier way to go in and do that IR scanning. So IR is a big one. You're looking for heat, obviously. And a lot of times what you're going to see with the IR scanning is, you know, you're, you're just finding a poor connection point. So you've scanned it. It's hotter than everything else. You go in, you tighten up that connection point, and things go back down to normal. Um, 
ultrasound you mentioned partial discharge is one that's huge uh getting a lot bigger it's great to see so again i'm not going to pretend that i'm an expert in partial discharge but the long and short of it is um if there's any type of a gap in your insulation system uh, whether it be cables whether it be any anything else you're going to get what they call a partial discharge it's it's different than a short circuit because with a short circuit you're actually going through and you're arcing between two points partial discharge is a discharge that doesn't bridge two points it's just the start of uh, um, call it a, a short circuit eventually uh, so what it does is it starts to break down the insulation there's there's different ways to read that partial discharge and when you get to a certain point obviously it's going to break through that insulation completely that's when you get an arc or a short circuit and it trips your circuit so so it's a little bit well not a little bit it's a condition monitoring technique that for cables i highly recommend uh, because you're going to be able to track the level of partial discharge in a cable to the point where, okay, hey, you know what? We've got to do something here because of the fact that it's it's starting to, par the partial discharges are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which means that it's getting to the point where it's eventually going to break down that cable itself. Um, problem with partial discharge is that works on high voltage stuff. On the low voltage stuff, there is some partial discharge there, but it happens so quickly before it breaks the insulation down that there's really no, uh, good way to capture anything there because it, it, it just just due to the that the p to f interval we'll call it right um, mm -hmm. uh, wireless temperature monitors obviously again going back to temperature um, when it comes to transformers again oil analysis is a big one um, th those are basically i mean I know, I know there's new stuff coming out all the time and i'm not going to pretend to be an expert but those are those are kind of the big ones that i would i would definitely look at uh, motor signature analysis which I, I just listened to that one the other day uh fantastic um th those those are the ones that i would mention uh that uh, if you're not looking at those particular technologies at this point in time i definitely would look at it with ir being ir and ultrasound being being the big ones to start with yeah and the, <clears throat> we did I, I forgot to mention but we did do a podcast on uh, thermography with paul goodbody from iris and he definitely mentioned it and it's something that like to me i really like infrared as a technology because you don't really need too much training to get started on it it's pretty simple and you can buy you know, a cheap camera from FLIR or like there's a couple of them, they're like five, 600 bucks and you can get started in your plant. That That's exactly it. I mean, uh, one thing that I do see a lot of though is, is facilities just due to the fact that the technology is readily accessible. The cost of the cameras, as you say, isn't that big anymore. Uh, so companies will buy a camera and and put the camera in the hands of, of one of their guys and say, okay, according to uh, NIDA, the International Electrical Testing Association, we just want to make sure that the differences in temperatures and, and they give them this chart and off they go. Well, th there's definitely some training that needs to be done. <laughs> um, and uh, don't get me wrong, if you can get in there and get a temperature on things uh, in a pinch, but as far as building an IR program itself, I would definitely recommend doing some training um, getting your guys on board. In fact, a lot of the, the insurance agencies that I've dealt with over my career, uh, a lot of times tell you that you need to get a third party in order to do a lot of it for insurance purposes, which 
I, I don't necessarily agree with if you've got the proper training in house, but. Yeah. I mean, obviously if you're trying to get into any predictive maintenance technology, like at least at a level that you can trust to go out and detect failures and that type of thing, like absolutely you would want to have, you know, a level three thermographer or whatever you're, whatever you're getting into. But it's nice that it's an, it's kind of an accessible technology where, you know, like you can go out and you can see, you know, this pipe is cooler than this pipe. And that means that that pipe, there's something wrong with it. Like it's, it's fairly straightforward. Now, what you do with that data is another story. <laughs> That's exactly it. And I mean, the, 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 like you say, it's an accessible technology. It's, it's very easy to use once you know exactly what you're looking at. Um, the only problem when it comes to electrical is you can't always get in behind things to look at the bus connections, let's say, in, in a switchgear uh, lineup or those different types of things, right? So um, it's, it's a great technology, uh, but it's not the end-all be-all, right? Um, and that's really, uh, I, I guess, where you get into some of the wireless temperature monitors and some of those different types of things. Uh, basically, the, it's just a heat sink. Uh, that you put on your bolts of your of of uh, of your bus in the back of say a switchgear cell or something like that that would feed back and and give you an idea that oh things are heating up here what's going on we better shut down and check this out yeah and, and one thing you know we you mentioned was that you wanted to kind of talk about hidden failures now that one's probably not really a hidden failure but this is a concept that we talked about um, a bunch of times on our RCM podcast with Nancy Regan and Jesus. And it's one thing that like the example I always use is a fire alarm and it's pretty straightforward, right? Is we don't know that the fire alarm doesn't work until we have a fire. Do you want to just give us an introduction to hidden failures on electrical equipment? I would love to, because this one's a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine. So, um, as 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 most people know, I mean, a circuit breaker, um, any kind of electrical protection device. So the circuit breakers, the relays, your fuses, all of those different different types of things, by definition, um, have hidden failures. Right? Uh, a circuit breaker is expected to open um, to shut down the circuit upon a high current level. Right? So that high current level means that there's something going on, something's wrong. Um, so when you talk about hidden failures, it's imperative to go in and test all of these protection devices. Let, let, let's be honest. That's exactly what they are, um, in, in a prudent manner and, and making sure you do it at a good time. Um, so one thing, and we, we touched briefly on it with, with the CSA documents, Z462 for electrical safety, when that came out, there was a huge influx in the, in the industry that, oh, okay, we got to get arc flash studies done. We need to make sure that our guys are wearing the proper PPE, uh, when they're working around different things, you started to see a lot more of the bomb suits as we call them getting put on when you're, when you're shutting things down or when you're working near, uh, live electrical equipment. Now. All of those uh, arc flash studies, and, and when they talk about the calories per centimeter squared, which is the energy that's given off if there was something that happened, um, all of the studies and, and all of those different types of things are built on the fact that the transformer, that the breakers and the protective devices are going to work as they, as they were designed. Now, 
kind of scary, uh, but there was a, a NIDA study done. Uh, and NIDA, for those that don't know, is the International Electrical Testing Association. So basically, they, they, they develop a lot of the standards that go into testing and, and different types of things. So, so they did a, a survey in 2011 of all the NIDA member companies. They got about 340,000 responses from that. Uh, and they were looking at breakers and, and devices that are protective. And what they found was 23% of all breakers didn't follow their designed operating characteristics. So right off the bat, 23% of the breakers would change the arc flash levels. So you're putting your, your, your workers into an unsafe condition because they believe the arc flash level is going to be this, and it's probably going to be more because it's not very often that things when they don't follow their design characteristics get better. Right. Um, <laughs> they also found 10.5% of all breakers didn't operate at all. Now, that's pretty scary in my mind, as far as, especially myself as an electrician, I mean, I, maybe I haven't been on the tools for quite some some many years, but um, you've got 10.5% of breakers that don't operate at all. That means that if there was a short circuit or something that happened, that breaker doesn't shut off. You've got to wait for the next breaker down the line to, to actually trip. Uh, that causes arc flashes, that causes explosions, that causes fire. Uh, definitely a heavy-duty safety aspect to it, never mind the, the loss of equipment that may happen during an event like that, right? So, um, so when you talk about hidden failures, it's imperative to go in and test those circuit breakers. It's imperative to go in and test your relays. It's imperative to go in and make sure that you've got the proper sized fusing and your fuse holders are good. All of those different types of things that are there to protect you um, if you don't test them, you'll never know whether or not that's good or bad, right? Yeah, and, and do you, like, are those an annual test or six months, or what's the frequency? So I'll, I'll reference another document. I mean, again, it depends on a lot of different scenarios, right, uh, where you are. If, if you're in a, an office building, uh, your testing frequencies may be a little bit less than, than if you're in a... Uh, a steel mine or a, a steel mill or something like that right so csa z463 um is is the new standard that's it, it recently became a standard uh maintenance of electrical systems gives you a very good idea as to uh as to testing and, and how often and again it comes down to rob um, just like anything else, right? So uh, a lot of times we'll recommend doing uh, your high voltage breakers every year or two years, depending on the situation, um, and determining and looking at those results and saying, okay, you know what? Yeah, we tested these breakers uh, one year at a time, and the breakers are good every time. Okay, well, let's, you know, and you can get into the reliability math, as we know, through RCM and all of those different th types of things to, to go a little bit deeper into things. But I, I would say at minimum for your high voltage breakers, I would be looking at every two years. A lot of companies go three, but I, I think to start, I would go two. Um, and again, just uh, uh, if, you, if you don't know, I, I would start uh, doing it, you know, maybe every year or so if you're having a lot of problems. Um, again, I think this is what we get into when we start looking at why a lot of the electrical reliability and the electrical testing isn't getting done is um, you got to shut all the power off to test a lot of this stuff, right? You've got a <laughs> short window 
you've got uh, three dozen mechanical tasks that get to, need to get done. You've got a bunch of operational tasks that need to get done. You've got contractors in. You've got this. You've got that. Uh, and then you say to your plant manager that, oh, yeah, we need to shut the power off for two days. Um, that, that, that sometimes causes a bit of concern. And you hear, well, we haven't lost anything yet. So we're, we're okay, right? Yeah, and I can imagine that discussion not going too well. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're always interesting discussions, but I mean, uh, I think every every facility that I've ever been at, people want to do right. And I mean, it's just the education portion of things to, to explain what could happen, right? Um, and uh, one, once once that's done, then uh, there's, there's different ways to get around it. So. <laughs> you said do right. Every facility I've ever been at has been wanting to run at 110 percent 24 7 by all means but if there's <laughs> if there's if there's if there is a chance and maybe i'm a bit a bit of an optimist here but uh, i i think there's always that chance that uh, uh especially when it comes to some of these protective devices that you could be putting people in harm's way and i don't think there's anybody out there that would ever want to do something like that right yeah, absolutely. I think that that's something like, again, the education piece is so huge. Like if they don't know, they're not going to shut down their plant for two days. Right. So you have to start off with informing. And then once they kind of figure that stuff out, then you can really move forward with your your testing program. That's exactly it. The education portion of this is is by far the biggest, um, and and that's kind of what I've spent I would say the better part of the last ten years doing is is trying to educate people, um, you know. And it's uh, I'm not going to pretend it's an easy task a lot of times. <laughs> you know, the education piece is easy. the 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 problem that I think a lot of people have is is actually changing behavior, right? And it's like people can know what they're supposed to do. Like, like you and I both know like how we should be, you know, losing weight and, you know, going to the gym and eating, eating broccoli and steamed chicken breast. But there's a difference between knowing that and actually executing that on a 24 seven basis. Right. By all means, especially on a football Sunday. <laughs> so Paul, you know, we're coming to a close here, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what common mistakes do you see with like electrical reliability programs and like what should be people be doing to avoid those making those mistakes? Well, great question. I I guess the biggest thing that that I would stress is is and we just briefly spoke about it, the education portion, right? So, um it's no surprise to anybody that you see most maintenance managers, uh, you see most uh, um, e even operations or uh, plant managers come out of uh, a lot of times probably the mechanical side, a lot of mechanical engineering. Uh, you see the odd uh, electrical engineer, uh, but you see a lot of mechanical people up front, up top. Um, and and I've been in that position as a maintenance manager, and I told myself, hey, you know what, I'm going to concentrate on the electrical side just as much as the mechanical. But uh, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, hey, most of this stuff doesn't break down very often. Um, so you end up spending the majority of your time on the stuff that is breaking down, the stuff that is causing you problems. And it's very, very easy to forget about those critical assets on the electrical side uh, just due to the fact that 
we haven't had an issue with them. Well, just because you don't have an issue with them now doesn't mean that there maybe isn't even an issue at this point in time. If it's a breaker and it's not going to open, you, you're not going to know you don't have an issue in that, on that breaker until it gets called upon to, uh, to protect you, right? And once it doesn't, trust me, you're going to wish that you were doing your testing. So the education portion of it is a big deal. Um, we, we talked briefly about the IR and the ultrasound uh, going through and just doing some of that basic, basic testing, um, but making sure that, that you're doing it properly, making sure that you do have the training for it. Just because you can buy a little piece that plugs into the bottom of your iPhone that'll do IR scanning for you doesn't mean that you can go in and do IR scanning, right? Um, Unfortunately, I see that a lot. Um, and, and I guess the last part of it would be just, just being cognizant of the age of some of your equipment, right? Um, uh, you always hear on the electrical side, especially as we get into more and more electronic portion of things, that the, the, the random failure portion of things, and I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of random failure stuff. But if you've got transformers that are, that are or infrastructure as a whole on the electrical side that's pushing 40, 50 years old, or, or sometimes even less, you better start developing and thinking about making a plan for the future. Now, is that to say that stuff's not going to last another 20 years? Absolutely not. I don't think anybody can tell you that. But trust me, if you need to replace two transformers next year at $1.5 million a piece with 36-month lead time, somebody's going to be asking the question of you, why did you not think of this before? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great point, and it's something that, I think people have a hard time wrapping their head around and you you know, you mentioned the equipment ages, right? And I think a lot of like a lot of sites I've been to, it's a nightmare to figure out even stuff that's two or three years old, like how old it's supposed to be, no matter fifty years ago. And you know, because you're you would have been through at least a couple of CMMS, you know, the the paper documents are long gone. Like it's it's just it's a kind of a nightmare to get your head around but you have to do it 100 percent. and and a big one that i see a lot of times too rob is like you say you've got a transformer that uh, especially those main transformers right you built your facility let's say sometime in the 70s or 80s um, at that point in time you were only needed to have this much power um what we or what i've seen a lot of times is okay you do an upgrade to your facility you put in all of this new equipment and everything else that requires more power. What do you do to that transformer? Do you replace it? No, we'll put a fan kit on it and it'll be good. A lot of times when I get to a facility, you start to look at the equipment they have and it's not rated for the amount of power they're using at this point in time. Now, all that does is creates more havoc in that equipment because the insulation systems aren't meant, you're getting a lot more heat, things are breaking down a lot quicker. I went into a facility at one point in time, we were just doing an arc flash study, and just due to the fact that the utilities, uh, the, the actual incident energy coming from the utility gets higher and higher as they put more and more capacity in, and there wasn't a single breaker in their facility that was actually rated for the incident, incident energies that, that were available or the short circuit currents that were available for that for that facility. So keeping up on top of those things by doing the proper things when it comes to your arc flash studies and your power system studies and all of those different types of things is also paramount. Um, just so you don't get caught off guard and all of a sudden uh, you're in a position where you need to replace everything in your facility next year because we all know that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great point. And it's something that, 
you see, I mean, you see it everywhere where like in the seventies, you know, you're producing a hundred thousand units. And by the time now it's 2019, 2020, we're trying to produce 250. And it's like, we never thought about upgrading our infrastructure or building. We've just added more, you know, more production lines to the plant or more equipment. And it's like, yeah, you really have to kind of go back to first principles and think about, you know, what's like the stuff you put in, like what's its function? What's it designed to do? Like how safe is it? And especially with, you know, some of the stuff and the safety, the safety factors, I mean, you have to be careful with it, not only from a, a production standpoint, but from a safety standpoint too. That's exactly. And then that's kind of what I really want to stress. Obviously there's, there's the production standpoint um, that you always have to call it sell when you're talking to uh, a facility or a customer or anything like that. Because uh, as you said, I don't think there's a facility out there that doesn't want to run, you know, 24, seven, 365. Right. But, the safety standard, the safety portion of things is is paramount. And when you're getting into, especially when it comes to electrical infrastructure, the higher voltages, the higher currents, there are clash levels. You got to really know what you're looking at. Now we've gotten a lot, uh, three thousand times better, I would say, over the last 10, 15, maybe 20 years. Uh, but there's still a long way to go, and there's still a lot of those legacy facilities out there that, you know what. Um, Times have been a little bit tough. We're not, we can't afford to spend to upgrade for this or that or anything like that. Um, so it, it's it's very important to look at the risk, right? Um, you know, to to mention Suzanne. I mean, Suzanne uh, Greenman pushes or, or talks about risk all the time, and and the validity in that is is one hundred percent, right? There's such a huge risk to not taking care of. Or not understanding your electrical system, um, you could at one point in time completely shut down your facility if you don't have things properly planned out and looked at. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess the, my last question for you, Paul, you, you you know, you've obviously touched on a lot of different things on electrical reliability that. I haven't, you know, I don't know about or I haven't heard before. Now, is there anything else? with respect to electrical reliability that maybe you haven't touched on yet that you want to just throw out there for people? I'm trying to fit a whole bunch of stuff into one. Um, I, I, like I say, Rob, I, I, to me, the biggest thing is, is just educating yourself on what you have um, and, and what you need to do. If you don't know whether or not you should be doing maintenance or testing on uh, a breaker, a transformer, a cable, any of those things. Um, there's there's books out there that'll tell you. Um, there's there's obviously professionals out there that you can speak to. Uh, if you don't have much of a budget, I would definitely number one. I would look at CSA Z462 and CSA Z463. I would also look at uh, the NETA MTS manual. Uh, now, what that is is that's their maintenance testing specification manual. And that gives you a very good idea as far as uh, uh, world class what you should be doing when it comes to electrical maintenance testing. Um, so th there's a lot of different information out there. Um, IEEE is, is phenomenal. Um, a lot of times I find, and, and I'm not an engineer, 
Uh, a lot of times they uh, they may talk over my head. I have to read it a couple times before I really get the whole gist of it sometimes. But uh, there, there's, there's a lot of different information out there. Um, it's all about just making sure that you fully understand the risk that is there within your facility with your electrical equipment. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And so for for people listening, Paul, like obviously thanks for joining us, especially on uh, Football Sunday. Like you should be out tailgating, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and and obviously we're gonna have to have you back on because I know we just barely scratched the surface. So there's a lot more to talk about. Now, do you have anything to plug? Like, do you have any conferences coming up? Obviously, people should follow you, Paul Baker, on LinkedIn and. If you came through LinkedIn, like Paul will be tagged in the post. If not, check the podcast notes. Um, is there anything else you want to plug? Um, nothing coming up as far as. I mean, uh, again, yeah, you're right. Uh, my LinkedIn, Paul Baker. Um, you can also check me out on my website. is just about complete, and that would be credconsulting.ca. Uh, um and uh, no, to get a hold of me, obviously, I, I think you can put that on the LinkedIn, right, Rob? Yes, sir. And uh, yeah, no, nothing, nothing major to plug. But if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, if, and it's a five-minute call, by all means, give me a call. I'm more than happy to help. My my biggest uh, challenge is is just helping educate. And I, I've I've been saying it for years, and I'll say it again. I want the electrical reliability and asset management and and maintenance to be equal or above mechanical. And it's going to take some time, but we're going to get there. A <laughs> race to the top. <laughs> so, Paul, you know, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, Rob. And I, I, I said it before we, before we started, I appreciate uh, the podcast itself. It's, uh, it's a great source of information uh, and uh, some, some really enjoyable uh, listening for the reliability geeks like myself. <laughs> as long as it doesn't put you to sleep, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're all good there. Awesome. So everyone listening, I appreciate you guys listening so much. I hope you had a safe commute into into work. For everyone, yeah, so for Paul's website, cred consulting, C-R-E-D consulting.ca. For Paul Baker, check the podcast notes. Follow him on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again.